I remember I was around five years old and I had a Barbie doll. And Barbie was very influential um, for me in my career journey. And I remember um, our family, we were, you know, middle income and we didn't always have enough money to get her latest outfit. So I would get paper towels, aluminum foil, old stockings, old socks, paper, and just make these designs. And I, you can tell me it wasn't just as good as a store-bought outfit. And from there, I was, I was hooked. I was hooked for life. Tammy Vaughn was a participant in Brooklyn Public Library's second annual Fashion Academy this past May. Twenty designers were accepted to the program, went through 16 weeks of classes, met professionals in the industry, and made beautiful clothes. We talked to a few of the designers one day while they were choosing fabrics at the library. They told us about their early encounters with fashion. Here are Kenroy Tyrell, Dynasty George, and Uniqua Parker. What got me started was... Uh, actually was a problem. In, in high school, um, it was homecoming, and I was like, I had my outfit in my mind already done. I couldn't find, like, a shirt for some reason. I went to, like, a ridiculous amount of stores to look for this shirt. Got frustrated, and I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to make the shirt, because in my head, I had an idea of what I wanted to look like. I went to my local fabric store. I spent probably hours just staring at different like fabrics. I ended up leaving with stuff that I didn't even need. And just like from then I just started to like mess around with it. Um, I grew up Pentecostal, so like we always wear like skirts and dresses and like a lot of ruffles and I think that has definitely influenced my style now. You know what's so funny? When I was little, since I had to wear skirts, we used to wear like jean skirts a lot with like sneakers and it was terrible and I used to get made fun of all the time. And then when around like high school, beginning high school, I started like figuring out about thrift store and then I started like dressing better and I started like kind of cultivating the style of like, oh, I could wear this, you know, because of like my religion, but I could also wear this because I like it. And then people were like, oh, like it's so weird, why do you wear skirts? It became like, oh my God, I love your skirts every day. And like people started to like gravitate towards it. I used to have like curtains hanging up. You know how you have the Woody Woodpecker curtains hanging up. I had a, a, I made a decision to cut Woody Woodpecker out and make an applique. And I sewed it on my jean suit. All of my friends were like, oh, where did you get that? And I started to cut the other half and make someone else. And that was my first opportunity to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> Maybe the library is not the first place you think of going when you're trying to be an entrepreneur. But for these designers, the library was the perfect place to go. I've realized the library is not books anymore. It's just not. Um, we really expanded and we want people to come in and learn about things they never thought they could learn about in a library. Lindsay Augustin is an outreach specialist at Central Library's Business and Career Center. Fashion Academy was her idea, and so far it's been a success. We had 15 designers last year. Um, a lot of them have gone into fashion. I've had one who's designed for the Grammys. Two of them have gone on to teach fashion in high schools. There are two who are working in Harlem teaching low-income women how to sew. So they've, they've all gone on to do great things. So if a library can help people launch their fashion careers, what else can it do? We're about to find out. We're calling this episode Work in Progress. I'm Felice Bell. And I'm Krissa Corbett-Kavoris. You're listening to Borrowed, stories that start at the library. Okay, Felice, I have an idea. 
I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read an article from 1931, uh-huh. and I want you to guess what it's talking about. All right, go. Let's go. It's going to be fun. This is from the newspaper The New York American. Quote, practically all the boarded windows on the Flatbush Avenue side of the shell had been smashed, and the building had a more forlorn appearance than ever before. Boys who had been using the building as their own particular playground for months had ripped off the boards so that the pigeons might have easy access to the interior for nesting. This made the capture of the birds an easy matter for the young vandals. Bonfire (laughs) ashes in many portions of the shell gave credence to the belief that there might have been many pigeon roast orgies by the youngsters. What? (laughs) What? So the article goes on to say, quote, Pigeons are now guarded 24 hours a day, 30 days a month by works progress watchmen. Quote, would you like to guess what building they're talking about? (laughs) Well, there's only one building famous for pigeon roast orgies, right? (laughs) Of course, everyone (laughs) knows that. It's got to be that one. (laughs) Um, What are they talking about? Uh, Oh, well, it's Flatbush. It is Flatbush. That was a clue. That was a clue. Um, the library? That's right. This is Central Library in the <laughs> 1930s being described in the New York American. So Central Library was in construction for 29 years. Oh, wow. From, yeah, from 1912 to 1941 when we actually officially opened it to the public. So over the years, it was referred to as, quote, a hole in the ground, quote, that outlandish civic eyesore. Oh. I know. And, <laughs> quote, the most expensive pigeon roost in the world. Wow. I had no idea it took that long to construct this building. That long. So the the original plans for Central called for this really fancy building with marble columns and a dome, and it was going to be four stories. It was this classic Beaux-Arts building. And then funding issues meant that it took until 1929 for even just a third of the building to be completed. That's 17 years. Then the Great Depression pretty much halted construction again. So fast forward to 1937, and Brooklyn Borough President, this guy named Raymond Ingersoll, pushed for federal government funds to complete the project. The library was totally redesigned at this point without the fancy marble and the columns and the dome. And the project was actually approved by the city. And then in two years, Central Library was completed. The people of Brooklyn, thank you, Raymond Ingersoll. So with those federal funds, the city used workers from the Works Progress Administration, or the WPA, to get the job done. Brooklyn was part of this trend happening across the country during the Great Depression. Between 1935 and 1941, the WPA gave $51 million to build new libraries, repair old ones, and refurbish 100 million books. Hmm. So a quick refresher on the WPA for those who might not know. That's a program started by President Roosevelt's New Deal, a plan to bring back jobs and pull the country out of economic depression. The WPA employed about 8 million Americans during the time it was in operation. No task was too small. Brooklyn Public Library's WPA workers were assigned to battle O-fillers. And these were people who sit in libraries and pencil in the O's in books. That's actually a thing people do. (laughs) So WPA workers sat there and erased the pencil markings in library books. During the 1930s, 800 new public library buildings opened across the country. Libraries became a refuge for the unemployed and for those seeking knowledge and skills. Libraries are still places that create jobs and help people find fulfilling work. Absolutely. And I have a great example of that. 
Okay, Krissa, now it's my turn to have you guess what this is. Okay, um, I'm thinking it is a competition between two librarians on who can reshelf books faster. Very close. <laughs> <laughs> that should be a thing if it isn't. It's actually a pitch competition organized by the library this past February. It was part of a program called Power Up, which is a business plan competition. Anyone in Brooklyn can participate, take classes at the library's Business and Career Center, and then submit a final business plan, like an outline for the business, to the judges. The winner, the person with the best business plan, receives $20,000 to start their business. So it's like Shark Tank at the library. It is exactly <laughs> like Shark Tank. And Brooklyn's business plan competition was the first in the country at a public library. Based on the research from our illustrious librarians, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the voices of our Kohler Robinson and Maude Andrew. They run the Business and Career Center at BPL, and we sat down with them to hear about the history of Power Up. The program started during another time of economic stress. Here's our COLA. It was a result of the library's efforts to do their part in helping the city rebound after 9-11. A lot of people had um, lost jobs, um, weren't quite sure what to do, and um, at that time, um, I think the city uh, as a whole was in less help each other mode. Since uh, 9-11, we've had a recession in 2008 where we've seen much of the same. Uh, struggle for people who have lost their jobs. Uh, entrepreneurship becomes an alternative for them. Power Up has been going for 15 years and has helped thousands of people understand what it takes to start a business. That cheering and applause I played for you a little while ago was from the final celebration for this year's competition. That was the night when winners were announced. Participants gathered outside the auditorium chatting with each other and eating and drinking. Khaled, a previous winner of Power Up, was giving out ice cream from his new Brooklyn business. I'm Khaled Hamid, and I'm a part of a team, my wife and I, and we own a company called Island Pops, and we do West Indian-themed frozen desserts. We were, um, we were actually 2015 winners. The funds that we received from winning that year allowed us to get our start. Before we opened the business, I was actually a psychologist. So I um, worked for non-for-profit for about 15 years, and then I got married and we decided like, you know, let's build something that we could leave for the kids and the grandkids. Other participants in the crowd were nervously awaiting the announcement of this year's Power Up winners. It's my first drink. <laughs> I'm, I'm nervous. I'm yeah. not drinking anything because I know as soon as water touches my tongue, I'm going to have to go to the bathroom. But, uh, and we don't have to pitch, so we just have to sit and smile. smile. And, oh, wave. <laughs> and I'm Warren Holder. I'm Miguel Strada. Well, we want to open an um, arcade bar in, in Brooklyn. Um, it's going to focus more on like um, keeping people together in more of a couch co-op or multiplayer kind of situation. Yeah, just a strength from the community and to kind of like, you know, give back to like the local neighborhood as well. Those are the creators of the company, The Electric Fox, and they ended up winning third place at the competition, which meant they were awarded $5,000 to start their business. The second place prize went to Brooklyn Tea, a new tea room in Bed-Stuy. And the first place prize, $20,000, went to En Route, a company that optimizes the best shipping routes and rates for package delivery. Wait, so Felice, what happened at the pitch competition? Right. So after we found out about the overall winners, 
there was an Audience Choice Award for the Best Business Pitch. So a few power-up participants were selected to make their pitches to the audience. There was one for a new hat company, another for a business that connects kids to computer programming classes, and a transportation service for seniors. And the winner was? The winner is Teresa. Katora Suggs won the pitch competition for $1,000. After the excitement, we had a chance to talk to her about her business. And it really came out of a need that life is, you know, you, it's to be enjoyed wherever stage you are. Keturah Suggs is a resident of Brownsville. She's really involved in her community. She's, in fact, a representative on Community Board 16 for New York City. And like so many of us, she has a grandma. One time I was on a bus and this woman, she was running. She was older. She wasn't, she was probably like 70s. And she hit the window and this, um, bus driver was like, like she reprimanded her like, um, and then having friends and obviously family, having a grandmom who, they, um, my cousin had to take her everywhere. And so I'm like, yeah, that is what my service is for. I want to be able to connect um, older adults to places that they frequent and without making families feel overwhelmed with taking care of grandma and grandpa. Katora came up with an idea for a van service for the older adults in her Brownsville community. The service would have a few routes to the most popular places, church, shopping, and doctor's appointments. And riders would pay about as much as one MetroCard ride to be helped onto a handicap accessible van. And once she had the idea, she took it to the library because she had heard about Power Up. She learned how to put together a business plan, did her research, and slowly saw her idea come to life. Power Up is such an exciting opportunity. Sometimes, though, helping someone find satisfaction and success in a career requires something more than a competition. I find myself as a librarian, I'm always trying to answer people's questions. It doesn't matter if it's in my area of expertise or not, even when I'm out in the street. And I just think, Natalie, stop looking at people because they're all, you know, they, 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 they'll ask you something. I have that look on my face like I'm ready to help. Natalie Canestra has been a librarian for 25 years. For most of that time, she has been a business librarian, which means she helps people with everything from job searches to preparing for the civil service exam, and she works one-on-one -on -one with patrons to do business plan research. The most important part of my job is the time that I spend at the reference desk answering questions. So when I'm sitting at the reference desk, I do my best uh, not to be working on anything else. And I'm always keeping an eye um, on the room, who's walking in the room, um, who's sitting there already, just to see if they need some help. So I started at Brooklyn Public when we were um, still at the Cadman Plaza Library in downtown Brooklyn. So I was only there for a year, and sometime during that time I do remember Vanessa coming in. Vanessa Williams is a patron who started coming to the library a few years ago. Vanessa Williams is my name. I was homeless. I left my husband uh, in 2014, and that's when I first came uh, to the point of coming in more on a daily basis. I was uh, searching for somewhere comfortable that wasn't dangerous. As you know, shelters are very dangerous. 
And um, my way of doing that was to seek out housing resources. And so I would do it online, on phone. And of course, again, the library was a refuge to get information through the newspapers. At that time, I wasn't familiar with her circumstances at all. Um, most patrons do not open up uh, with pers personal matters, and um, we don't ask. And, you know, whatever is going on back there, I treat everyone the same and um, just try to help with an informational need uh, in the moment. Boy, was she an amazing guide for me. She would give me so much information that I actually forgot that I was homeless. And so I got so much peace from her. So I was able to not only gain um, housing for a little while, I was able to explore what I needed for my book, my autobiography. People ask all sorts of questions at the Business and Career Center, but Vanessa's question was out of the ordinary. She wanted to know how to write a book about the experiences that shaped her life. Above all, Vanessa was looking for encouragement and kindness, and she found that in Natalie. It wasn't just the information Natalie gave her, but the way Natalie treated her that had a lasting impact. Vanessa has a place to live now, and about a year after she first met Natalie at the library, she started coming to the Business and Career Center to work on her book. The library has uh, been a part of saving my life. It's amazing how enriching it is when someone just says, can I help you? And they're sensitive and they care. Everyone needs that kindness. It causes nothing. Um, I do keep that in mind uh, when speaking with people, that everyone's going through something in the moment, um, and it's my job uh, to be kind, like she said. Um, that's, and I think it's easy. I think it's easy to be kind. Uh, that's why I love being a librarian. <laughs> Next up is our book match segment. Business librarian Valerie Livingston has a list of books to help you change your career path or start a new business. I'm Valerie Livingston. I'm a librarian at the Business and Career Center. You know, it's, it's kind of a hidden corner in, in the central library. So I think when people discover our little library, um, then they, you know, they realize how, just how much there is to learn and to, to explore. My first book recommendation is The Only Investment Guide You'll Ever Need by Andrew Tobias. Tobias is a very good writer and definitely an irreverent, entertaining storyteller first and then an investor. He's kind of uh, tells some funny stories about different um, investment schemes and different ways people lost or, or um, made a lot of money. Uh, the next book is Ask a Manager by Allison Green. Uh, Green has turned her workplace advice blog, also called Ask a Manager, into this book. Um, in it are kind of the top 150 or so questions that she's been asked over several years of this blog relating to everything from having private conversations with one's boss about salary negotiations, navigating various annoying qualities of one's coworkers, uh, and finally meeting one's tough job interviewer. 
So this book is called Minding the Store, a big story about a small business. Uh, this is a great graphic novel about starting and running a uh, a store called Fishes Eddie, which is all devoted to to dishes and mugs and plates um, in downtown Manhattan. Um, Julie Gaines, uh, who is the author of this and the co-owner with her husband Dave, um, the story il illustrated by their son Ben makes a great case for finding one's niche in unlikely places. Uh, I like this book for many reasons. The art, the story is charming, like the store. But in terms of recommending a book for entrepreneurs, it's a relatively quiet story, not flashy in any way. It's about really finding one's idiosyncratic obsessions and mindfully bringing a business idea to fruition. Uh, the next book is a test prep book for anyone who wishes to become a bus operator. Um, it's, it is one of the most popular civil service exam preparation books we have in our collection. We don't really advertise but the, these books, but we're one of the few people that, that have them, um, and they're expensive to buy. Other popular books in this um, past book series are um, civil service exams for being a school guard safety agent, a court stenographer, a 911 emergency operator, an urban park ranger, a light maintainer, and one of my own personal favorites, hoists and rigging inspector. So many possible careers and lives, so little time. Borrowed is brought to you by Brooklyn Public Library and is hosted by me, Krissa Corbett-Kavoris, and Felice Bell. You can find a transcript of this episode at our website, bklynlibrary.org slash podcasts, as well as a link to the book match list. We've also put links there to articles about Central Library's history and more information about Power Up, Fashion Academy, and all of our other business and career services. Borrowed is produced and written by Virginia Marshall, with help from Fritzi Bodenheimer, Jennifer Prophet, Meryl Friedman, and Robin Lester Kenton. Our music composer is Billy Libby. We are recording from Central Library's Information Commons Recording Studio. And guess what? If you have a BPL library card, you can reserve time here too for free and make your own podcast. And as long as we're recommending books on Borrowed, why not recommend another podcast? Bushwick Podcast features stories of Brooklyn's small and independent businesses as well as local arts and culture. Listen to their two-part episode about a new bilingual bookshop in the neighborhood called Mil Mundos. That's on Bushwick Podcast, hosted and produced by Luke Griffin. You can hear it on the Heritage Radio Network, which is also based in Bushwick, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're in the podcast app, please leave us a rating and a review. It really helps, we promise. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Now get out there and do your work. <laughs>